Genesis chapter number 12. We're going to continue our study we started several weeks ago now, looking at the faith journey of Abraham. And of course, Abraham is one of the uh, most well-known figures in all of religious circles. Uh, three religions claim him as the father of their faith. Of course, the Jewish religion claims him as the father of faith. He is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel and the patriarch of their faith. And of course, the uh, Muslim faith claims him as the father of their faith because he's the father of Ishmael, who also had 12 sons and so began the 12 tribes of Islam. And then, of course, Christianity, we call him the father of our faith because through him, God fulfilled the promise that all the world would be blessed. And through his children... We receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. So three people, three different religions claim him as the father of their faith. And he is the first man in Scripture to ever walk by faith with God completely. Now, I know we, we, you know, other people had faith in God and walked in faith with God, like Noah. Uh, God told him to build an ark, build a boat in the middle of an area that had never rained. And it, it's kind of hard to understand, but until the flood during Noah's time, it, it never rained. Whenever the, the, the crops needed to be watered, a mist would come up out of the ground and water the plants and water the vegetables, and so that it never rained. So when, when God comes to Noah and says, hey, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth with a great rain. I was like, well, I have no idea what rain is, but God gave him the plan. God told him what to do, told him what was going to happen, and yes, it did take faith to trust God. And to, for 120 years, build this ark in the middle of the desert that had no rain with people mocking him and making fun of him and jeering him. And, and it took faith to do that, but God told him what was going to happen. God gave him the plan. With, with Abraham, God simply comes to Abraham when he's a 75-year-old man, says, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know and just walk with me and I'll show you where you're going when you get there. And so he had no idea what was going to happen. He had no idea where the land was going to be. He had no idea how long the journey was going to take. He just trusted God and walked with God in faith. And we've seen a lot about his faith journey, how his journey of faith affected him, how he, his journey of faith helped him deal with conflict, how his journey of faith, when he, he lost faith and went to Egypt for a, few, for a while, and lied about his relationship with his wife and, and kind of stepped out away from God, how he, he got back on track with God and started walking by faith again. And so this morning we're going to look at how his journey of faith made him into a man of integrity. So we're going to pray, then we'll get to our message this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have, Lord, as your children to come together and to worship you. We're so grateful that, Lord, we serve a, a living God, a God that, Lord, desires fellowship with us, desires to speak to us, desires to work in our lives. And so, Lord, this morning, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have complete and total freedom to work in each and every heart here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would move through each and every pew. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart, do a work in each and every life through the truth and the preaching of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit. Lord, speak through me this morning. Lord, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say, but help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word integrity 
is a word we hear used from time to time. But unfortunately, it's not a word we see modeled in our society. The word integrity means possession of firm principles. The quality of possessing and steadfastly adhering to high moral principles or professional standards. When you say someone has integrity, we mean they're, they're trustworthy. They have high moral standards. They're, they're, they're going to deal with people in business and in public and in private. They're going to deal with them correctly. They're going to do what is right first. And, and that's how God wants his children to live. God wants us to be a people of integrity, a people who are trustworthy, a people who, are, who when they make a promise, they keep their promise, they keep their word, they, they seek the right way first. See, too many people in the world, they don't seek the right way first. They seek whatever can get them the best benefit, whatever can help them the most. And there's a philosophy in the world that it doesn't matter who you hurt as long as you benefit yourself. And unfortunately, that's creeped into the Christian circles as well. We think, you know what, it doesn't matter how I treat so-and-so as long as I benefit from this, as long as I'm helped from this. And so God wants his people to be a people of integrity. And one of the greatest things that can be said about you is that you are a person of integrity. In Genesis chapter 14, we see integrity lived out in the life of Abraham. And this, this passage in Genesis 14, it gives us a glimpse into the life of this great man. So we're going to start reading in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 24. Now, as we're reading this, there's some, some odd names, some odd places, and I just want you to remember, I took two years of Hebrew. I'm going to mispronounce these, but you don't know that. So just whatever I say, that's how it's pronounced. Amen? All right. So Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse number, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse number 1. And it came to pass... <clears throat> in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arach, king of Eleazar, Kedilomar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shingbar, king of Zepoem, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. Don't you wish sometimes the Bible was like they, they went to battle with Bob and John and Steve, but it doesn't say that, amen? And these were joined together in the Vale of Shittim, which is the Salt Sea. Now, that's not the Salt Sea yet. It will be the Salt Sea in a couple chapters when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. So it's not the Salt Sea yet, but this is where the Salt Sea was located. And they served Kidelomar. Uh, in the uh, 12 years they served Kitty Lomar, and in the 13th year they rebelled. And in the 14th year came Kitty Lomar and the kings that were with him and smote Rephams and Ashtaroth, Kianam, and the Zuzums in Ham, and the Emims in Sheva, that place, Kirathiam, and the Horites in the Mount Sheor, and El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came. Uh, to in Mishfat, which is in Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazron Tamar. And there went out the kings of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Admah 
and the king of Zebioim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. When Kedilomar, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Ampharel, king of Shinar, and Arach, king of Eleazar, four kings with five. And the vale of Shittim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, <coughs> and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took of all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkal, and the brother of Anar, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobath, which is in the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods that also he brought again, his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedilomar, and the kings that were with him in the valley of Sheva, which is the king's tail, Dale. <coughs> and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which, he hath, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and, gave thee, and he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe locket, and that I will not take away, take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which were with me, Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now, I know we just read a whole lot, and we're going to look at some of it again. We're not going to read those names again because... I listened to the audio version like all week long to get those names right, and you still never get them right. I don't think they even get them right. But anyway, so in this passage of Scripture, we see something very unique taking place. We see a battle take place between two different leagues of nations. During this battle, Lot kind of gets caught up into it. And because Lot is kind of caught up into it, Abraham is drawn in and he has to go and kind of take care of business and bring back Lot and kind of re restore what was taken. And so there's a lot going on in this passage. But we see here three areas that Abraham had integrity in his life. And in each of these areas, Abraham demonstrates the fact that he was a man of integrity, that he was a man of of high moral standards. So let's examine these areas today so that we can look at his journey of faith with God and we can become a people of integrity. The first area we notice is he had integrity in battles. <clears throat> in verses 1 through 16, again, we're not going to read them again, but in verses 1 through 16, we see this, this interesting battle take place. And it's interesting for, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it wasn't Abraham's battle. Abraham had nothing to do with this. 
these two League of Nations start going to war against each other. And they, they had some good reasons to battle, but they start going to war with each other. Nobody bothers Abraham. No one attacked Abraham. He didn't lose anyone. He didn't have his, his flocks taken. They didn't try to take, kidnap his, 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 uh, his, his people or anything. They left Abraham alone. But Lot is captured during the destruction of Sodom. Now remember, Lot was there because he left Abraham. Abraham gave him a choice, said, Lot, we, we got to separate. We're, we're too big for this area. We need to separate. You choose the best land. Abraham humbled himself allowed Lot the younger to make the choice, and Lot made a very poor choice and chose to go to the valley, of, the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah because it reminded him of Egypt. And so he is in a place he shouldn't have been anyway. He is captured because it's his fault. He, he got what he deserved. And Abraham could have very easily, when someone came to him and said, there's a great battle in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's been taken, Abraham could have said, well, I, I told him not to go there. He, he chose that area. That, that's not my problem. We've separated. He's on his own now. I've got my, I'm doing my thing. He's doing his thing. It's not my fault that he was taken up in this battle. Abraham, he could have ignored it completely, but he didn't do that. He saw someone in need. He saw someone in a battle, and he determined since I can help, I should help. The Bible teaches us that time and time again. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to, to do it. What that verse teaches us is that when we see someone who is in need, when we see someone who needs help and we can help, we should help. We should get involved. But too often, we see people in battles, even battles that they brought upon themselves, and we say, that's not my problem. They, they brought this on themselves. They made these choices. Let them deal with it. You know, the phrase, you, know you made your bed. Now you, you slept in your bed, now make it. It's like, hey, you, you chose this. You made these choices. You did these things that brought you into this position, that brought you in this battle. Now you find your own way out. And what Abraham is telling us is as people of integrity, when we see someone who's in need, when we see someone who is in a battle as God's children, if we can get involved and we can help them, we should. And that's not just taught in the Old Testament. The, Jesus teaches us this as well. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Luke 6.21, and as ye would that men should do to you, do also to them likewise. Matthew 2.22.39, Mark 12.31, Romans 13.9, and Galatians 5.14 all say the exact same thing. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That, those verses is what we call the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And when you're in a battle, and when you need help, you want people to help you. You want people to step up and do what they can, to, even if it's your own problem. Even if you caused it. Even if you made choices that brought you to this problem, that brought you to this battle. When you're in trouble, you want people to help. 
So what Abraham's telling us, when we see people in trouble, if we can help, we should. And look, it cost Abraham a lot. He, he's going to battle with, with a league of nations that just wiped out an entire valley of Sodom and Gomorrah, just defeated four other kings, and he's going against them with 350 shepherds. He could have been killed, but he had faith that God was with him, that God was going to fight for him. So he says, you know what, God, it may be dangerous, it may cost me dearly, but someone needs help, and I'm able to help, so I'm going to get involved. So I'm not, let's be honest, sometimes we don't want to help people because we, we don't want to be bothered by it. It's messy. I don't want to be bothered by it. And look, I'm guilty of this too. You're a pastor. I know. Sometimes y'all call me or text me, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to get involved, but I have to because I'm a pastor. No, I have to because I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God, and God says, hey, if someone's in trouble and you can help them, you should help them. That's integrity. That's battling with integrity. So we see, first of all, the, his integrity battle. Let's first of all look at the reason for the battle. Now, the, this brutal invasion occurred in the region of Canaan. It's whereas modern day Iraq and Iran, and it happened for a couple reasons. First reason it happened was because it was a vicious retaliation. Now, Sodom had been a dependent, or they'd kind of been a colony of Kedilomar for 12 years. So they were a colony of Kedilomar, and because they were a colony of this king, they, they paid him tribute. They paid him taxes. They would pay him so he would protect them. He would watch after them. He would provide for them. But after 12 years, they got sick of it. They said, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. They were like the American Revolution, taxation with that representation. They, I don't know if they threw tea in a harbor, but anyway, they said, we're not paying taxes anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. We're going to rebel against this king, this nation that has, been, that has been controlling us for over 12 years. So after 12 years, they revolted, and Kitty Lomar, along with three other nations, they invaded Canaan to deal with the rebellion. And during the invasion, they destroyed Sodom, they captured many people there, including Lot and his family. So again, Abraham's in a battle, but it's not his fault. The reason he is in a battle is because someone needs help. So it was a vicious retaliation. Second reason for the battle, there was a valid reason. Now the evil kings, they thought they had a valid reason for waging war against these rebellious nations, and Abraham wasn't even involved in it. So why did he get involved? Had nothing to do with him, but he had a valid reason for going to battle. Abraham was a man of peace. This, this story right here, chapter 14, is the only time we see him go to war. He is never in war any time before or any time after. He is a peaceful man. His entire life, he's never been to war. The only reason he got involved was because he saw a need and he had to help. When we see a brother or sister in a battle, whether it's self-inflicted or not, whether we, we can sit back and say, they kind of deserve this or not, when we see someone in a battle, integrity says we get involved. We help. We do what we can for those in need. So we see the reason for the battle. Secondly, look at, let's look at the success of the battle. In verses 14 and 15. 
And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hoboth, which is on the left hand of Damascus. So these verses are incredible to me because Abraham's not a warrior. He's not building an army. He's building shepherds. So he takes 350 shepherds. They're not fighters. They're not warriors. They're not Navy SEALs. They're guys who walk around behind goats and sheep with sharp sticks. But he takes 350 of them, and he, dest he, he destroys these powerful nations. He won. But how? How could a shepherd with other shepherds be victorious over this incredible army? A couple reasons. First of all, he was prepared. Abraham, he armed his men and he prepared his men for the battle. As children of God, we need to understand we are always in a battle. We forget that sometimes because we're not, we don't have any trouble. Our, we're healthy. Our bank account's doing fine. Everyone in our house is, everyone in our family is fine and healthy. Everything's going great. And so we look at our life and say, whew, I'm not in a battle right now. If you're a child of God, you are always in a battle. We have an enemy. He, he walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is always out to get you. Now, he might, may not be attacking you yet, but he will soon. He's going to attack you. So we need to be prepared for the battle. We are in a spiritual war, and we need to be prepared with spiritual weapons for when the battle comes to us or others. And our success in the battle is always going to be determined by how prepared we are to face the battle. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, God has given us spiritual armor and spiritual weapons to fight the spiritual battles that come our way. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. See, we fail in the battle because we're not prepared for the battle. Because we take the word of God, the weapon that God has given us to defeat the enemy, to fight the battles, we take it and the only time we open it is Sunday morning. When the battle comes, we say, how come I'm not prepared? How come I'm not ready? Now, look, y'all know I'm a, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I'm all for the Second Amendment. You break into my house, I'm going to shoot you. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. Just you break in my house to hurt my family, you're going to die. That's just, that's just the way it's going to be. Now, I have my, my, my firearms, but I practice with them. I know how to load it. I know how to load it in the dark. I know how to get the safety off. I, I, know, how to hand, I know how to point and click. I know what to do with it because I've prepared for it. Look, if you have a firearm and don't train with it or prepare with it, please don't use it. I'm going to be honest with you. If you've got one, be prepared to use it. Know how it works. Know how it operates. Otherwise, you're just dangerous. You're just going to make a mistake. Same thing with the Bible. God has given us an incredible weapon to fight Satan. But we don't ever train with it. We don't ever prepare with it. See, the Bible says that we are to hide the word of God in our heart 
So that when the temptation comes, we, we don't sin against God. You know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the, in the wilderness th- by the three times, you know what he did to defeat the, the devil? He used the Bible. He used the Word of God. But here, we get a spiritual battle, and we, we fail because we don't know the Scriptures. We don't study them. We don't meditate on them. We don't memorize them. If all you're doing is the only Bible you're getting is a Bible you're getting on Sunday morning, you're not using it enough. And the battle's going to come, and you're going to fail because you're not prepared. We fail because we don't know the Scriptures. We fail because we don't talk to our Heavenly Father. We don't ever pray until the battle comes. We need to be talking to God constantly. You know, David said he talked to God morning, noon, and night. He talked to God three times a day. He prayed to God. He talked to God. He was in fellowship with God. So when the battles came to David, David was prepared to fight them. But us, when the battles come, we, don't, we haven't talked to God until the last battle. We've not picked up our, our sword until the last battle. And so we get in the battle, and we don't, we're not prepared, and we fail. Abraham was prepared when the battle came. Are you prepared? Not only was he prepared, he also pursued. We're at war all the time. But there are times we need to take the battle to the enemy. When, it, when it's time to stand against evil, we take the battle to the enemy. When we see a brother and sister in Christ making a decision or living a certain way that is contrary to the word of God that's going to hurt them. It's time to take the battle to the enemy and stand up and say, hey, what you're doing is foolish. What you're doing is going to hurt you. And in love, try to correct them and train them. When we need to stand in a gap for a brother or sister in Christ, it's time to take the battle to the enemy. We need to, we, we, need, it's not, we can't just stand back. We have to go and fight the battles. We need to demonstrate integrity in our spiritual battles. And we do that by facing the enemy with our faith in God and his power, by standing on the side of right. We battle with integrity by not shrinking from the battle because of fear of the enemy. We do so by fighting when others run. Abraham showed integrity in the battle. Do we have integrity in the battles? Second area he showed integrity in, he showed integrity... In his worship, look at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. See, Abraham, he didn't just have integrity in his Battles, but he also had integrity in his worship. And there's a few reasons why. First of all, he had a developer of his worship. In verse 18, he meets a man named Melchizedek. Now, Abraham had enough faith to go to battle on behalf of a brother in need, and then he found someone after the battle to help strengthen him and develop his worship. And notice some of the truths about this man who helped him. First of all, look at Melchizedek's position. This man is a king, specifically... He is the king of Salem. Now, Salem means peace. And it's the ancient name of the city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, didn't exist yet. So he's king of a place that ain't there yet. That, that's, that's important for a reason. And so his name means king of righteousness. Hebrews 7 describes Melchizedek a little better. It says in Hebrews 7, verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
priests of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. So this king of righteousness, he has no father, he has no mother, he has no beginning, has no end. Sound like anybody you know? A lot of theories about who Melchizedek is. A lot of people believe he is just a type of Christ. He's a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. I believe Melchizedek is a Old Testament appearance of Jesus. I believe when Abraham came back from the battle, and he's weary, and he's tired, and his men are exhausted, he met Jesus Christ who strengthened him, and blessed him, and encouraged him, and helped him. He is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. So what this teaches us is when we're in need, Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus is always there for us. So we see Melchizedek's position. Let's see what he did for Abraham. Let's look at Melchizedek's provisions. When Melchizedek comes, he brings with him bread and wine. And both of these things, they are products of the area, and they are given to Abraham to help him and strengthen him and encourage him after the battle. See, God is always there with us in the battle and after the battle. Because Melchizedek says, hey, you had a great victory through God the Father. So he was there with Abraham in the battle, and after the battle, he's there to encourage him and strengthen him and bless him. God is always there for us. When we are weary, he is there to strengthen us. So what this is telling us is God develops our worship by meeting us where we are and meeting our needs when we need him the most. We see the developer's worship. Secondly, look at the, let's look at the fruit of his worship. Look at verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thee, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hands. See, Abraham was blessed because of his faithfulness to God. See, Melchizedek says, he says, Abram of the Most High God. Abraham was known for his worship of God. He was known as someone who worshiped God and served God and walked with God. He was blessed because of his faithfulness to worshiping and living for God. See, God blesses his children according to their faithfulness to him. See, too many Christians, we struggle with a joyless life. Wondering why we don't have the success or don't have the joy, the blessings that others do. And it, it, it's probably because we're not as faithful to God as they are. Because we don't, we don't go to God or walk with God or, or witness for God or, or live for God until we need God. And we wonder, God, how come, you're, how come my life's not as joyful or as blessed as someone else, as someone who is always faithful to God? God blesses those who are faithful to him. So we see Abraham, he's Developers worship, fruit, fruit of his worship. And then the, let's look at the faithfulness of his worship. Look at chapter 20 again, very end of it. And he gave him tithes of all. Now, I know most of you just shut me off. 
I mentioned tithing, so you're done for the day. Come on back, all right? Come on back. It's not going to be that bad, I promise you. Abraham, he showed God's grace and mercy in his life by tithing back to the Lord what, what he had been given. Tithing is an opportunity for us to honor God for his blessings upon our life. It's an expression of worship. It's a test of obedience, and it is an opportunity for God to bless our life further because of our faithfulness. And look, I understand, tithing is an act of faith. I get it. The Bible gets it. Tithing is an act of faith, but faith is the only thing we can do to please God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he, he is a rewarder of, of, to them that diligently seek him. It takes faith to get your paycheck out and get your checkbook out and give, write a, a check to the church and give it. Because let's be honest, probably most of us in here, every paycheck we get, we need all of it. We gotta pay bills. We gotta put gas in the car. We gotta buy groceries. We just, and let's face, no one wants to work, 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 and have no fun. We want to, we want to enjoy life. We want to do stuff. We want to buy, you know, Christmas is coming. We want to buy Christmas for our loved ones. And so we look at our stuff, look at our paycheck and say, God, you know what? I know you, you say I'm supposed to give back, and I know I'm supposed to give you 10% of it. I'm tired of you, but God, I, I just need it. And it takes faith to step out and do that. Tithing does it make sense financially? I, I understand that. Saying, I'm just going to give away 10% of my income makes no sense whatsoever. But it makes sense spiritually. And I can tell you, and I know other people can tell you, and the Bible tells you, God blesses those who are faithful to him in the area of tithing. There have been times, and the thing is, and here's, some of you younger Christians who haven't started yet, and you're, you're kind of still on the fence of whether I should or shouldn't, when you begin to step out on faith, and trust God, God shows up and blesses you in an incredible way. Now, look, for those of us like me, I've been, I've been tithing now for about almost 20, over 20 years. It's just it's second nature. God still takes care of me. But he does, I don't see the, the incredible provision like I did when I first started. When me and April in Bible college, we had times where we had to make a decision. Are we going to tithe or buy groceries? There was one time I told her, I said, well, honey, we got to eat. So let's just not tie this week. We'll catch up next week. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. And so we didn't. And we went and we, we bought groceries. And I came home and our washer machine and dryer broke. Had to buy a new one. Say, so, oh, that's just a coincidence. No. It's God teaching me a lesson. Next time it came up, because look, at Bible college, it happened a lot. Where we had to pay, tithe, or buy groceries. Next time it came up and she says, are we going to buy groceries? Or are we going to pay our tithe? We paid our tithe. Coming home from church that night, she said, honey, I don't have any idea what we're going to do for groceries this week. We got home, and someone, I don't know who, someone had put five bags of groceries on our front porch. It, I mean, God took care of us. And God always has, and God always will. God blesses those who are, so look, I know it makes no sense financially, but it makes sense spiritually. And God always takes care of those who are faithful to him. God blesses those that are faithful to him in every aspect of worship 
especially tithing. And look, you're not going to get rich. I've heard preachers say, man, you give to get, and the more you tithe, the more God will give you. They're just, they're just trying to get your money. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't need your money. God's going to take care of this church. God's going to take care of me. But you need to be faithful. So you're not going to get rich, but you will see God take care of you in ways that you never even imagined. Abraham honored God in every area of his worship, and that is what God is asking of us this morning. Your integrity in the area of your worship and acknowledging the Lord says a lot about the condition of your heart. How are you, how are you worshiping God this morning? Are you faithful in all aspects of it? Or do you need to step up your integrity in some areas of your worship? We see his integrity in battles, integrity in worship. Thirdly, his integrity in wealth. Look at Genesis 21. I'm sorry, Genesis 14, verse 21. I'm done talking about tithing now. You can take a deep breath, okay? Look at verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a, take from a thread even to a shoe lacket. He goes, I don't, I don't even want a shoelace from you. Even to a shoe lacket, and I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So when Abraham won this incredible victory, he took possession of a lot of, of wealth, a lot of spoils of these defeated kings. And so he acquired an incredible amount of wealth. And let's see how he deals with the money that God blessed him with. First of all, look at the temptation that he endured. In verse 21, the king of Sodom came to him and says, hey, you give me the people, and you take all the money. You take all the goods. Take all the gold. Take all the silver. Take all the animals. Take all, whatever, whatever you own, Abram, you take it. Just give me the people back. I'll just take the people, and you take everyone else. So this is an incredible temptation for really anybody. You know, one of the biggest temptations, especially as American Christians, is a temptation of money. You know, when the, when the lottery reaches like a billion, like it did a couple weeks ago, it's amazing how many Christians go out playing the lotteries. And I've, I've heard, I've, I've had people call me, none of y'all, thankfully, because you'd have heard something. But people who know I'm a pastor, they're like, hey, hey, Sean, can you pray for me to win the lottery? No, I'm not. But, I mean, they, they'll run out and they'll, they'll spend hundreds of dollars on lottery tickets to try to win the billion-dollar lottery. You know how many lottery winners are bankrupt within a year? You know how many lottery winners say they wish they'd have never won the lottery? Because it just ruins their life. Because, here, God gives you the amount of money you have that you can handle. So if you're like me and don't have a lot, it's because God knows I can't handle a lot. If I won the lottery, I'd be a worthless Christian. I would be. I'd find me some island somewhere that no one lives on, and I'd go sit on it and say, I'll witness everyone on this island, God, and ain't nobody there. I'd be worthless. Why? Because we don't need God anymore. But money is a huge temptation for Christians. We begin praying for tickets and asking God to help us win. We, we choose jobs based on money instead of based on what God wants us to do. We, and I, we cheat on our taxes we lie on our taxes to get more money back on our refund, and we think it's okay because we're only cheating Uncle Sam. 
I'm only taking money the government's going to use for bad anyway, so it's okay for me to lie on my taxes or to lie on my time card or to be a little dishonest. To get, you know, if someone shortchanges you at Walmart, man, we're furious about it. You, you gave me $2 less than you were supposed to, but if they give you 10 bucks more than they should have given you, we just, oh, well, thank you, Jesus. Look what God did for me. Woo! No, it's dishonesty. It's a lack of integrity because we are tempted with money. Matthew 6, 21 says, For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way we steward our money says a lot about us. And Abraham was tempted with an incredible amount of wealth. But look how he responded. First of all, we see his temptation. Then look at the testimony he endured, he exhibited. Verse 22, And Abram said unto the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, and I will not take from a thread even to a shoe lacket, and I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. You know, Abraham's response is classic. He refuses to take even a dime from this king of Sodom. He would rather trust in God to take care of him than feel like he owed this wicked man anything. Too many Christians, they'll do anything for a dollar, for a little extra money. But Abraham, he wouldn't give in to the temptation to make a dishonest living. He trusted God to take care of him, and his testimony of faith was evidence of this. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Abraham had the integrity to trust God to take care of him, so he didn't need anything from this, this wicked king. He didn't need to fall to the temptation because he knew, God, I don't need anything from him because you're going to take care of me. That promise is still true for us today. We don't need to fall to temptation and, and be dishonest in any area so we can get a little extra cash or get a little bigger refund or get a little extra time on our time card. We need to be completely honest in every area of our life and trust God to take care of us. See, the three areas of life that we have examined today they're all vitally important to us. Can you say with a clear heart that you are walking in absolute integrity in your battles and in battles you see other Christians going through? Are you walking in integrity in your worship to God in every area of your worship? And are you walking in integrity with your wealth? God help us to search our hearts and deal with any dishonesty or any problems we find in those areas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.